my love for music and writing and tap into the universal slipstream of creativity and spirituality while writing and performing our own unique sonic stew with my brothers, both present and departed, in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is my account of those times, as well as the story of how a kid who was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, migrated to Hollywood and found more than he could handle at the end of the rainbow. This is my story, scar tissue and all. Chapter One. Me, I'm from Michigan. I've been shooting coke for three days straight with my Mexican drug dealer, Mario, when I remembered the Arizona show. By then, my band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, had one album out, and we were about to go to Michigan to record our second album. But first, Lindy, our manager, had booked us a gig in a steakhouse disco in Arizona. The promoter was a fan of ours, and he was going to pay us more than we were worth, and we all needed the money, so we agreed to play. Except I was a wreck. I usually was whenever I went downtown and hooked up with Mario. Mario was an amazing character. He was a slender, wiry, and wily Mexican who looked like a slightly larger, stronger version of Gandhi. He wore big glasses, so he didn't look vicious or imposing, but whenever we shot coke or heroin, he'd make his confessions. I had to hurt somebody. I'm an enforcer for the Mexican Mafia. I get these calls and don't even want to know the details. I just do my job, put the person out of commission, and get paid. You never knew if anything he said was true. Mario lived in an old eight-story brick tenement downtown, sharing his squalid apartment with his ancient mother, who would sit in the corner of this itty-bitty living room, silently watching Mexican soap operas. Every now and then, there'd be outbursts of bickering in Spanish, and I'd ask him if we should be doing drugs there. He had a giant pile of drugs and syringes and spoons and tourniquets right on the kitchen table. Don't worry, she can't see her here. She doesn't know what we're doing, he'd reassure me. So I'd shoot speedballs with Granny in the next room. Mario wasn't actually a retail drug dealer. He was a conduit to the wholesalers. So you'd get incredible bang for your buck, but then you'd have to share your drugs with him. Which we were doing that day in his tiny kitchen. Mario's brother had just gotten out of prison, and he was right there with us, sitting on the floor and screaming each time that he tried and failed to find a working vein in his leg. It was the first time that I'd ever seen someone who had run out of useful real estate in his arms and was reduced to poking a leg to fix. We kept this up for days, even panhandling at one point to get some more money for coke. But now it was 4.30 in the morning, and I realized we had to play that night. Okay, time to buy some dope, because I need to drive to Arizona today, and I don't feel so good, I decided. So Mario and I got into my cheesy little hunk of junk green Studebaker lark and drove to a scarier, deeper, darker, less friendly part of the downtown ghetto than we were already in, a street that you just didn't want to even be on, except the prices here were the best. We parked and then walked a few blocks until we got to a run-down old building. Trust me, you don't want to go in, Mario told me. Anything can happen inside there, and it's not going to be good, so just give me the money, and I'll get the stuff. Part of me was going, Jesus Christ, I don't want to get ripped off right now. He hasn't done it before, but I wouldn't put it past him. But the other, larger part of me, just wanted that heroin. So I pulled out the last $40 that I had stashed away and gave it to him, and he disappeared into the building. I'd been up shooting coke for so many days straight that I was hallucinating, in a strange limbo between consciousness and sleep. All I could think was that I really needed him to come out of that building with my drugs. I took off my prized possession, my vintage leather jacket. Years earlier, Flea and I had spent all our money on these matching leather jackets, and this jacket had become like a house to me. It stored my money and my keys and, in a nifty little secret pocket, my syringes. Now I was so wasted and chilly that I just sat down on the curb and draped my jacket over my chest and shoulders as if it were a blanket.
Come on, Mario. Come on, you gotta come down now. I chanted my mantra. I envisioned him leaving that building with a dramatically different pep in his step, going from the slumping, downtrodden guy to the skipping, whistle while you work, let's go shoot up guy. I just closed my eyes for an instant when I sensed a shadow coming over me. I looked over my shoulder and I saw a hulking, big, dirty, crazy-looking Mexican Indian coming at me with a huge, industrial-sized pair of cut-your-head-off giant scissors. He was in mid-stab, so I arched my back as forward as I could to get away from his thrust. But suddenly, a skinny, little jack-o'-lantern Mexican bastard jumped in front of me, holding a menacing-looking switchblade. I made an instantaneous decision that I wasn't going to take it in the back from the big guy. I'd rather take my chances with the scarecrow killer in front of me. This was all happening so fast. But when you're faced with your own death, you go into that slow-motion mode where you get the courtesy of the universe expanding time for you. So I jumped up, and with my leather jacket in front of me, charged the skinny guy. I pushed the jacket...